You're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Uznick, brought to you by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Uznick. Today, I'm thrilled to have Susie Welch as our guest. Susie is a fairly new friend and neighbor of mine here in the Hudson Valley, but she just impressed me from the start. Others have known her, followed her books, her journalism through the years. She is, as I say, a business journalist. She's an author. She's a commentator, an entrepreneur, and she's a mom. So I'm really thrilled to have you on today. Welcome to The Caring Economy, Susie Welch. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So Susie, I always open by asking my guests on The Caring Economy to tell us a little bit about their life journey, their story, mm-hmm. how they got where they got, because my, my belief, my philosophy, my experience is that no one got where they got by themselves. They had their hard knocks and there are moments where they had to turn left when others went right. So tell us a little bit about Susie Welch. Well, given that I just turned 62, that's a very long story, but let me give you the very abbreviated uh, version of it. The cliff notes. Um, I was born in Portland, Oregon, as I like to say, exotic Portland, Oregon, exotic only because nobody's been there on the East Coast. I grew up there. My family was basically very artistic. My dad was an architect. My mom was a ceramist. Um, I I bumped along from a family of four and I ended up being very, um, very, very fortunate to end up on the East Coast and uh, to go to both boarding school and college. And after college, I launched into a career um, becoming a journalist. I, I always wanted to be a writer. I, I wanted to write every day. I needed to be paid uh, for it um, because I was from modest means. And so I became a journalist. My first job was at the Miami Herald. Um, and that took me, that started me on my 20 or so years of being a journalist, starting off by covering crime and they're very, ser- very serendipitously ending up covering business and along the way having um going to I went was very lucky and went to Harvard Business School and then I graduated from there and was really covering I went to become a management consultant learned a ton about manufacturing and sort of filled in my knowledge of business which was fascinating to me um and then uh had four kids along the way and then when I was 40 years old, speaking of people uh, turning left and others go right, when I was 40 years old um, and divorced uh, from my first husband, um, I went to go interview Jack Welch, who was the CEO of General, had just retired as the CEO of General Electric. And we pushed the detonation button and blew up our worlds and got married to each other. It was a, you know, sort of holding the, I mean, in those days, thank God there was no Twitter, but there was page six um, and we, uh, and we certainly made our appearances. So um, Jack and I built a new life together. It was thrilling and exciting um, and uh, profound. Uh, we wrote a couple of books together that were um we felt were important and um, important co- contributions to the conversation about how business was done. Uh, and we had 20 glorious years and just um, a year and a half ago, he passed away. Very oh, and um, anyway, since then, um, I, I have uh, been sort of figuring out what uh, what's next. I've continued my career as a journalist, but the most sort of fun and interesting, exciting, uh, and also uh, humbling extremely humbling experience I've had in the past three years is that I have become an entrepreneur. And the way that happened was that, um, okay, so I'm gonna go slowly on this because it's it's mind bending. Jack had a grandson from his first life and I have a son from my first life and they were very close friends and they started a business together because they're roughly the same age. It's in the music tech space. 
Um, the name of the company is Quadio. It makes it fun and easy for Gen Z creatives to find each other, to collaborate and commiserate, make music together, become friends and find and grow professionally and personally. Um, we like to sort of think that if we did every single thing right and got the money that we're on our knees begging for, that we would become the LinkedIn for the um, creator economy. Mm -hmm. But we are far, far from that right now. So for the past couple of years, I've been on that incredible roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur. If somebody had told me how thrilling it was to be an entrepreneur, lo, those many years ago, when I stepped into the Miami Herald newsroom as a girl reporter at age 21, I, I would have had a vastly different life. But then again, I would have missed my fabulous years of um, uh, being in broadcast journalism because I went from print journalism and then I transitioned over to broadcast journalism, had many wonderful years, both on the Today Show and then on CNBC. And anyway, um, I'm doing that. We're, we pivoted during the pandemic like everyone else did to stay alive and we're uh, fighting a good fight and, and hope to make it. It, it is, um, uh, it is a, 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 you know, in one day you can be exhilarated, you can be uh, brought to your knees, you can laugh, you can cry. I did them all yesterday in the office, all of those things. <laughs> and, um, and that was just in the first hour. So um, anyway, that's what I'm doing now. I, you know, I am a mom, I've got four grown children and their spouses and I am a mom to dogs and uh, a huge portion of my life has been um, uh, committed passionately to the uh, animal liberation. I'm an animal liberationist. I'm on the board yeah. of the Humane Society. And I, um, and I became a vegan many years ago because of my love of animals. And I am trying to change the world in that way in any little way I can um, um, among a vast army of people who, who do it a lot better and work a lot harder at it. But I, I, I'm in their, in their great shadow. And I share that with you. I'm very involved historically with the Humane Society. And we'll talk a little about that today. Um, first, I want to start with the whole roots as a journalist. I think journalist, I've spent five years at the New York Times as director of public relations. So I, I've been there and in my whole background in corporate communications, I work with journalists. I think I understand journalists. A journalist is someone who's born. It's not something that you just add on or this is just an approach, I think, to a worldview. And I wonder if you agree with that, Susie, but also has that informed everything you've done throughout your life? Well, I'm not sure I was a journalist. I mean, I think that you make a really good point because I knew real journalists and they were a lot more cynical than I was. My problem was I was, I was kind of Pollyannish. And, I, and I, I, there was a point in my life, I remember, where I went to cover something and it involved talking to the parents of somebody whose child had just actually died. And the, everybody was rushing towards them and I was rushing back to the car and a photographer said to me, you're going to get fired. And I said, I don't care. And so I think I've always been like a little... Um, uh, you know, real journalists have a lot more um, gumption, you know, ed edge to them or something. I mean, I think I'm a pretty, uh, you know, I think it's what I have a really good friend always says to me, you're so sincere. And you know, she's not complimenting me. Okay. And so it's a, I do have sort of like this weird sincerity gene. I don't know where it comes from, but I, I, I do believe that people are generally good and that's not a trait that most journalists share. And so I think I was happier when I went into, uh, when I was on the, um, third hour of the Today Show where we just had happy stories. I mean, I sort of dug it so much because I really loved telling very encouraging stories and I could have built a whole career in that. But um, I, and, uh, but I, uh, I, I understood business in a way that um, I, I was able to uh, have a, you know, grow in my career as a business journalist because a lot of journalists um, are, um, are knowledgeable about a lot of things, but truly understanding how businesses are run from the inside was sort of something that I 
brought to the table. But then the problem was I was too sympathetic to, to business people because I sort of saw the world through their eyes. It did not make for me having a lot of friends. And, um, so I, uh, with my fellow journalists who covered business from a much more adversarial point of view. Um, and anyway, um, so I, I think that if, if there was something I was born, it was a writer, okay? So, I mean, I do tell stories and I see stories, I see narratives and things, and I even see that as a businesswoman. And so um, uh, I do think you make a good point, Wesleyana. Was I born a journalist? I'm a very curious person. I think that's born in you. I have four children. They have very varied levels of curiosity. It's really a trait. Um, yeah. And so I was you know, who knows who I got it from, but I had it. And so I'm curious. I ask a lot of questions uh, just very naturally, but I don't know if I was a true journalist. Well, it's interesting because I, I think that the, um, we share that. I take a genuine interest in whatever I, whoever comes into my scope. And um, my husband, Harlan, who you've met, will often say to people when I ask too many questions, he'll say to them, you know, he's Barbara Walters. You don't have to answer all his questions. <laughs> <laughs> At which point I say, well, I'm happy to answer any questions they want to ask of me. I mean, I don't want to spend time with anyone and not learn something and take a genuine interest versus yeah. light cocktail banter. Life's too short for that. I think, it is. Right? I don't do that either. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, so speaking of your children, that's the other part I wonder about with your business and, and your experience. Um, we talk a lot, we write about, we hear a lot about EQ and the emotional sort of quotient. And uh, you brought that through from what you've just described, Susie, your, your reporting and your business, and then uh, you're using it now with um, Quadio. Do you think you have good high EQ? Is that part of your successful formula, hmm. do you think? Or no, I, don't, uh, I hope I do. Um, I... Uh... I, the components of EQ as I remember them, because I used to, I edited Dan Goldman in his first articles about that when I was at the Harvard Business Review. Um, one of the first, the two that sort of stick out of my mind are empathy and self-awareness. And I uh, mean, I'd like to tell myself that I have those, you know, I think I do have empathy. I think anyone who's in the animal world, we have empathy because we are um, so compelled to, um, defend the voiceless. So I think that, you know, actually I sort of have more of that for animals than I do for people because people can speak for themselves sometimes and not all, but in some cases. So uh, yeah, I hope I have that. I think, you know, I'm more empathetic now than when I was a, you know, smart aleck, you know, college student. And, but I think, you know, it's uh, the whole process of uh, having kids, um, getting divorced, losing a job. I got fired from the Harvard Business Review for running off with Jack. They fired me um, and making a lot of mistakes and um, picking myself up again and, yeah. you know, writing a book and several books and it having to be, it, that's hard. I mean, that gives you, it, it, you build empathy by failing, I think, and understanding that everyone around you, I used to say to my husband all the time, um, who was so successful at everything and everything in life came very easily to Jack. He was brilliant. He was really talented. Um, he's an incredible athlete. Naturally, he made friends naturally he had a huge amount of charisma. And um, I, he would tell you that one of the great messages I started talking to him about when we met low those many years ago was life is really hard for some people. Just getting through the day is really hard for some people. And you have to have a heart for that, that, you know, yeah, uh, we sort of, you know, some were, we were really blessed, like just with good IQ and, oh. and strong bodies and a lot of, a you loving know, family, loving family. Oh. Um, 
and yeah. he had a really loving family. And, but life is just hard. And so as life goes on, you meet those people and you see how they're struggling and your empathy grows. And and so I, I hope that I've yes. gained that over the years. I, as I say, I, it was that's certainly been a journey. That's that element of, of EQ, the, the self-awareness, right? To know, to just appreciate what one does have, really. And so often we think about what we don't have or what we want, but uh, you know, that strikes a chord with me when I think about everything's going on around um, social justice now and white privilege. And I have these debates in my own family and it's a tough one because, you know, I, I don't walk through my life black, but if you, for example, we've just had this whole Kyle Rittenhouse settlement in, um, in Kenosha yesterday. And, you know, life goes on for everybody, but if, if you're a black person in this country, you're still black the day after and the day after and the day after. And I feel that, you know, I can't change that, but I can at least be aware of that. I've come from a, a, com a loving, fair, middle-class Midwestern family mm -hmm. right, at a minimum. And I worked hard to get where I got, but it's um, that empathy piece. I think we all, we would all be better off if everyone were a little bit more empathetic. And then with animals. So that's actually a good segue um, to the humane study. I mm -hmm. mean, I've, I've been a fan forever. I started about 14 years ago, an informal advisory council for communications folks to help um, John Bowser, who was then the chief communications officer. And I just am always wowed by them, the smart way they approach the issue of animal advocacy. It's legislative. Yes. It's not just, you know, feel good commercials. But tell me why, tell us, you're, so you're on the board of the Humane Society. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And what brought you in and what kept you there? Hmm. This is my second stint there. Um, what brought me in was um, uh, just a passion actually for farmed animals. So the plight of farmed animals was sort of, um, I think everybody, I always called dogs the gateway drug to animal um, welfare issues. But actually for me, I always had a, part for the plight of farmed animals. I think the separation of baby calves from their mothers maybe was what started with me, but um, I was very, very young. My family was avid fishermen. And I used to say, throw that fish back. It has a family. And they used to laugh at me. So it started, I might've been born with it. I mean, I do think that there's actually an argument that this sort of heightened empathy for animals, you know, a lot of people like me and you, our families can tell stories of it starting really, really young. But for me, it really got um, very, um, uh, it really came to the fore when my youngest daughter, Eve, um, who's now a, a ceramist, um, a potter, um, went to NYU and she majored in animal studies. And up until that point, I had been a vegetarian. And uh, one day we were in the kitchen. So this was maybe 10 years ago. And um, I reached in to get some cream for my coffee. And she said, why are you put in cream in your coffee. Um, and we had a candid conversation about what happens to dairy cows. Mm -hmm. And it was the last time that any dairy entered my mouth. And I remember thinking, I've just been looking away too much. So I had a platform because at that point, my book was still on the bestseller list and I was on TV every day. And I thought, I wonder how I can move the needle with my platform because I don't look like your typical kind of, you know, crazy animal maniac. I have a, my public persona is one that's quite trusted. I am a, you know, I appear to be sort of a corporate person and maybe I can change the conversation around that people like me are also vegans. Um, and, uh, and so I started speaking out publicly and I then started working closely with 
several animal advocacy groups and um, one thing led to another and I ended up on the board of the Humane Society where I like you share, I have enormous admiration for everything they do. Very strategic and it's very, it allows for the 50 states that we have, they're all so unique in legislation and, you know, one battle here is not resolved the fights over there. So um, I, I like that turn of phrase you had about looking away because I think, I think most people, not just you and I, if they could see really the true cost of their, their shopping, their dining, their food waste, they would take the more humane approach, right? And they can see it though. They can. I mean, I remember one time I was coming back from a Humane Society board meeting and we had seen the undercover videos, which is one of the things that we do on a board. We look at some of the worst videos because we have to decide what decisions to make about these very, very egregious undercover cases. And, um, they're on YouTube, they're everywhere. And I, my sister called and I was in a dreadful mood and because I, some of these um, videos are uh, deeply disturbing. And she said, why do, you, why do you do this to yourself? And I said, if not, I mean, I don't wanna aggrandize myself. I don't wanna sound like, you know, I'm not, no, I'm, your, I'm not, you know, not Gandhi here. Okay, I, but I said to her, if I don't do it, who will? And it was really this feeling like somebody has to do it. Somebody has to look at it because everybody else doesn't want to, but it's there for you to see. I mean, mm -hmm. if you want to know what goes on at a dairy farm, just Google it and you will see how cows are impregnated. Yes. So. And, and you can also, you, I don't think anyone takes on fixing the whole world, but everyone has the power, right? Yeah. A little bit less meat, a green Monday or, or what have you. So. Right. Yeah. I like that, but I also just I appreciate the smart approach that Humane Society took. Uh, first, with their past CEO and now Kitty Block, I think is doing a great job of stepping yes, up. Yes, I admire Kitty, and yeah. And I work a lot internationally, and I've worked a little bit with the international um, Humane Society, and I I hope that the good that's happening here can have more and more impact globally because it's certainly a global supply chain and global issue. Um, so let's come back to the U.S., Susie, and talk about Claudio, your startup. You've got, what are the demographics like both of your employee population and then of the audience that you're engaging? Is it well, it's the same. Okay, so, well, it's a little bit older. The, you know, I, the oldest employee is probably 30, so, but the rest are really Gen Z, very young, right out of college. Mm -hmm. They're so incredibly smart and engaged, and but they certainly see the world differently than I do. And, and a lot of times those conversations are fantastically um, uh informative and eye-opening and our, our right now quadio is uh own, is gated by .edu so you need to be in college community college or online college to use it and this is a, a very classic product rollout strategy where you start with one community and expand this is the community we're starting in because um there's a need i mean it, people who are in school are often looking for other creative collaborators and the infrastructure in colleges doesn't off, you know, doesn't, especially now that many colleges are remote, doesn't really facilitate uh, artists finding each other on campus. So that's where we are. You know, we're right now very focused on the New York market. I mean, we're small, we're just starting. We, um, we've had a long journey because our first version of the app, it's an app. Gentlemen, again, today we have Susie Welch, the business <laughs> author, commentator, entrepreneur. It's Claudio and it's it's on the app store. You can get it anywhere. Okay. So, I mean, it's, and you go on and you sign up. It takes two seconds, like any good app and, uh, and you can download it. They will ask for your .edu, .edu address. And if you've got one, you put it in and you're, and you're ready to rock and roll, finding other artists all around you to collaborate and celebrate, commiserate, to share music, to share, you know, insights, to find gigs and, 
to find jobs and, and to and to try to you know grow your creative squad. So uh, so give us an, a typical journey that one of your your subscribers might have, say a, a twenty year old undergrad at SUNY New Paltz. She's right. I mean, we have right. Okay, uh, easy to do. So you know, there's an artist who's a a singer songwriter who's at City College. I met one the other day. We had a party at the office, and she's a singer songwriter at City College. She's a freshman. She gets onto Quadio. She wants to write and sing songs. She's just starting out, and she can say she can search that she's looking for a band or for a producer in New York City. She doesn't care if it's just City College or say she wants somebody from City College because she wants to make a friend at City College or say she says, okay, City College and Columbia because we're both uptown and she can just search that way. And um, all the people on Quadio who are producers say um, at those schools will pop up and she can go right into their DMs and say, hey, I'm a singer songwriter. I want to lay down some tracks. Do you know where we can do that? Um, and here's the sample of my music and they can write back and and on numerous occasions, artists who have found each other on Quadio will actually make music together and then they'll post it on Quadio. We call these Quadio collabs. We have them on our Instagram feed all the time where an artist from you, Austin, um, like in Texas, say University of Texas, Austin, mm. will find somebody who's at Minnesota State, you know, whatever, and they'll and they'll make music together or mm. one of them will do the music and the other will do the album art. And, and creatives kind of want to find each other and they mm. get inspired by each other and and. A lot of times you could be at a big school or a small school and not meet the other artists until your senior year. I mean, it, school is not there to get you to meet other creatives. So, so the, so the um, Quadio, to be a subscriber, one needs to have the EDU address. And yes, and you're just- want to follow the content though, for example, you said Instagram. So our listeners, yeah. not students, could still see the the great work coming out of there by going to Instagram or absolutely Twitter Instagram or is really where we live and we've got a you know we're on TikTok also and there's lots yeah. of hilarious quadio videos on TikTok but also Instagram is that we have a, a good and popular feed on Instagram where college artists and what they're up to um, are featured you know several times a day I actually love our Instagram feed so audio media audio or yeah audio media I believe on Instagram okay cool well we'll check it out I, I like that I also like TikTok quite a bit so I'm glad you're there why I, I love TikTok TikTok's a dangerous thing to start watching before you go to bed though man don't yes. do that I, I've never <laughs> had that person come up to tell me you got to turn off I have <laughs> I am. I am. I, the first time that happened, I was like, what is going on here? And uh, my, I like that, though. They sort of self-police in a good way. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I do think that, um, you know, you got to meet your customers where they are. And if they're on TikTok, yeah. then yeah. so be it. Yep. Um, so it's all English language. Are you you'll you'll figure this out first with oh, the EDU yeah. folks, but maybe one day you'll be in other countries and would love. We're actually in Canada, okay, not 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 truly as global as we want to be. I mean, yeah, of course, so the far. idea is to be all yeah. around the world. Of course, of course, our dreams are are you know massive to the point of absurdity. But yeah, so of course. So my last question for you, Susie Welch, and again, ladies and gentlemen, today we have our fan and our friend Susie Welch with us. She's a business journalist, author, commentator, entrepreneur, and mom. Um, you've got two daughters or? Two, two girls and two boys, two okay. sons and two daughters. So yeah. this is a gender question for you, Susie. I'm just very curious. You're so accomplished in your career and you had this stellar education with Radcliffe and, and Harvard Business School, a top scholar there. You're an entrepreneur, journalist. You've broken through, I think, a lot of or passed through some glass ceilings in in journalism and in um, in life. But what's the reality in your observation today for women in mm. in careers, whether it's young or old, your your yeah. customers, the people you mentor? I'm sure you mentor lots of young people or your own daughters. 
or your sons vis-a-vis -vis those daughters how, how, i have daughter-in-law moving also. in the right direction or are you yeah no oh my gosh you know one of the things that women of my vintage and i sit around talking about all the time is how different it is now to be a working mother i mean when i was a working mom i was at the harvard business review and i was the editor there and i had four children like under the age of five and literally my goal was that no one would know i had children i mean they knew i had children i never mentioned them i never mentioned their childcare. i never said i was going to a soccer game i never it was like for to succeed you you just had to look just like a man and just not talk about how your children you like you never say something like oh uh, eve has a fever i need to stay home it just didn't happen you built your world so that it, your motherhood was invisible. And now I literally will have Zoom meetings with women sitting with babies on their laps. And they'll be talking and they'll be bouncing the baby talking to me and I'll think, oh my God, how times have changed. So, I mean, that has gone in the right direction and that you can bring your authentic self to work as a mother. You can say, I'm, I'm out of sorts today because my kids said something really weird to me and I'm trying to process it. I mean, that happens now all the time. And so I, I applaud that because it was, it was an, act of um, extreme inauthenticity to be a working mother when I was coming on up. And I was grateful to the woman who came before me, who just even opened the door that I could even be there being a mother while at work. I mean, I remember when I got my job at HBR, people literally saying, could she do this with four children? And I was like, just watch me. Okay. But it was not, I mean, it was ugly, <laughs> you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. It was, you know, they, people talk about work-life balance, self-care. I mean, oh, please, are you kidding? Those things to just do not exist. That was a single a privilege, mom. right? Yeah. I, I mean, I just, they did not exist So for me. And so uh, that's better. I mean, some things are still very hard and, and, and some things are still have so much room to, but when Me Too came out, I remember my daughter saying, where are your Me Too stories, mom? Why don't you go on Twitter with your Me Too stories? And I said, you know, I had 30 years of me Too stories. There was every day was a Me Too story. I what I start writing, start talking about it now. It's a, you you can't believe what it was like. And how um, did, how did your um, how do your sons and your daughters um, discuss gender in careers, if at all? Do they do they have an appreciation for each other's um, the, 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 what they inherit in terms of legacy? And I mean, not your legacy, but women. I mean, women have. Yeah, no, they're really, they're grateful. Yeah. They're grateful. I mean, they're grateful. They're, they saw the, they saw me fighting the battle. They saw me fighting the good fight. They're grateful to me. So they're grateful to the people who went before, who opened the doors. And I, my, all, my daughters and my daughter-in-laws are very empowered, very self-actualized professional good. women with incredible careers. My One of my daughters is an entrepreneur. One works at Quadio. One is starting her own business called Slope Home. That's where you should get all your Christmas gifts this year. And anyway, um, uh, it is so I have got these very empowered daughters and I, but I think they 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 feel they understand that they're the leading edge of this wave of women in a uh, in a brave new world and the sons too. the sons are having fabulous careers but they would have had those 20 years ago too so <laughs> so Susie Wells I'm going to let you have the last word on the caring economy today again ladies and gentlemen it's been such a great to have you here um, what say you about either the role of business in society or what's next for Susie, Quadio? The floor is yours. Oh, thank you so much, Gosh. You know, I think that I, I think that I'm a little bit blown away when I hear the 
younger people who I work with being pessimistic about the future. I am so optimistic about the future. Again, I told you earlier, I'm kind of like very sort of Susie Sunshine here, but I, I and I, I, so take this with a Mm-hmm. great assault but I'm really optimistic I'm optimistic about how much people talk about things now that they didn't used to talk about and we talk about mental health and we talk about personal challenges in ways that are just fantastic and and there are there are just new conversations happening and so um despite the challenges that too many people still face I am encouraged by open channels of communication about topics that were never discussed before and you know, the only way out is through, and I think we're going through some stuff, the pandemic, mm-hmm. we're still going through it, and there's just still so many issues around social justice that need to be, need to be um, worked out, I mean, yeah. to put it mildly, yeah. and yet I see progress, and I see hope. I, I agree with you. I think you add into that technology and globalization, we have the most potentially the most creative solutions-oriented generation coming up, so I'm with you. Thank you again, Susie. It's great to have you on The Caring Economy. My great pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy, brought to you by Philanthropic Impact. If you'd like to add greater purpose to your business or your career, please follow us on Twitter at T. Usnick or on LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. We are at your service. Thank you for tuning in and have a great career.